Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped inside or in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this come, or why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you know, if you want to kind of bump up attendance and have people sit closer. (laughs) Have them youngins sing. Boy, that was great. That was great. I I enjoy it every year. And did you feel it? Did you feel kind of your, your, your heart kind of expand? I mean, I I don't even have kids up here. It'd be weird if my kids were up here, actually. But I don't have kids up here anymore. But still, it's just seeing your kids. It is is an amazing thing. It it actually is in keeping with the video. Thank you for letting us in to see the workings of your family. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the emphasis is on love. Well, of course it is. The video got us started that direction, and, and having the kids up front, and you could kind of feel it, that swelling in your heart, that's, that's love. That's intentional. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. I, I really do believe that there's something about Advent, there's something about this particular week in Advent that is meant to grow us in our understanding of love and grow us also in our capacity to love. Is it working for you? In fact, even the verses that we have heard read here, um, these verses also have to do with the revolutionary concept of love. I guess I can ask this question up front. I'll be asking it several times. Is love, as we see it embodied during this particular season, is love organizing you? Is it organizing your life? Is it organizing us? Is this love organizing and animating who we are. I'm telling you, this word love does a lot of work. And you've probably heard this. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard this dozens of times. There are other languages that have more words for love. We just have this one word love, and we make it do all of this work, right? We make it do all of this work. But I think what happens then because of that is sometimes we underappreciate what is meant when Scripture uses this terminology and what it is that God hopes for us to be as a people who embody a particular kind of love. But man, it is world-shaping in the mouth of Mary today, the Magnificat. 
But in order to get a good glimpse of what's going on here, we need to back up a little bit, actually. Earlier in the book of Luke, old man Zechariah is working as a priest in the temple, minding his own business, when all of a sudden a messenger from God shows up with a huge announcement. Zechariah, all of heaven knows how long and how much you and your wife Elizabeth have wanted a child. And so, guess what? You two are going to have a baby. And even better than that, God is going to use this baby to do great things to prepare God's people for the coming of their Messiah and the revolution that he will bring with him. Zechariah <laughs> looks right at the messenger and says, are you sure you have the right person? And so the messenger says, well, that's disappointing. And because you have not readily accepted what I've said, how about if you just be quiet for a while and watch it all kind of unfold around you? And so sure enough, Zechariah would not speak again until the birth of John the Baptist. But Elizabeth was pregnant. And in fact, Scripture tells us that Elizabeth was overjoyed. She is ready, willing, and now able. God has taken away my disgrace and replaced it with love. Now in the sixth month of her pregnancy, another messenger from God shows up to surprise a young woman by the name of Mary. Now, somewhere around 16, give or take a year or two. And she was promised or engaged to be married to a young man by the name of Joseph, but they had not yet been together. Even so, the messenger from God shows up and says, congratulations, you may not know it yet, but you are expecting. And Mary says, hang on, how can that be? How can that be? The messenger said, well, God has given you this gift, a child who will change everything who will be the embodiment of this revolution of love that will, in fact, change and touch everything. According to Scripture, Mary is confused, perplexed, perhaps even terrified, but the love of God her, the love God is promising her drives out her fear and confusion. So she finally says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. But Mary is still in need of some help, some counsel. And so she goes to see her family member, Elizabeth. Now I have some, some questions for us today. I'm gonna to take a few tangents of a musical variety today. Here's my question. Can Mary at the tender age of 16-ish really know what she's getting into. <laughs> Can she really know the kind of revelation, re revolution that she will birth? Now, if Mary had been 16 in this day and age, I think it stands to reason that she might have been a fan of one Taylor Swift. <laughs> now, some of you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but some of you are in fact Swifties, I believe is what they, they call, oh, we do have a show of hands. <laughs> Now, this Taylor Swift character is wildly popular, and perhaps even on our staff, we have a well-placed Swifty here and there, people who appreciate her capacity for the art, but I think who are also intrigued by the way that Taylor Swift, unlike anybody else, can combine this incredible art and this incredible talent with some element of tabloid journalism, like she does sing a lot about her old boyfriends, amen? She does. 
She does. As a matter of fact, I would say if you were to really survey the landscape and you were to ask the whole culture out there, especially our North American culture, who are the people who are telling us what we need to know about love? It's possible that maybe Taylor Swift is one of today's theologians as it has to do with love. I mean, her entire dating history is sort of recorded for us in more ways than one. Romantic love. Thank you, Taylor. Romantic love. And it's fine. It really is. I'm, I'm not here to critique. I don't really have a complaint. I, I do want to say this to us, though. What Mary was asked to do was to envision something more than what Taylor Swift is envisioning. Something more. Something that will shatter worlds. Something that will absolutely, completely, if you allow it to, reorganize the way that you go to work. Reorganize the way that you go about being a part of your family. Reorganize the way that you go about your job, your vocation, your career plans. Could Mary have known what she was getting into? Maybe the more pertinent question is, do we have a great appreciation for what it is that we are called to. So you've already heard this. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah, who said nothing, <laughs> and greeted Elizabeth. Now when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb flipped. It says here, it leaped for joy, leaped in her womb. Not a whole lot of room in there to, to leap, right? But the baby heard the voice of Mary and moved. Now, for us who have read scripture for a while now, we recognize that something is going on here when there is prenatal activity. Like God has already decided something that's going to make a big difference when the babies who are not yet born get it. And that's one of these times. And then Elizabeth says, Mary, you are blessed among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then listen to what this older woman, Mary, is saying to and for this younger woman, Mary. She says, why has this happened to me, Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the sound of your voice, Mary, the child inside of me leaped for joy, and blessed is she, Mary, blessed are you, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. You, are, you may be 16-ish, Mary, but that you took this seriously and even said right out loud, have at it, Lord, I am yours. And Mary responds saying, yes, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary, in these verses, recognizes who she is. Maybe more importantly in this moment, Mary recognizes where she is. And here's where she is. She's at the bottom. This is important, y'all. Mary, 
as a young person toward the bottom of society. Mary as a woman in that society toward the bottom of society. Mary, not yet married, but pregnant even further down (laughs) in that society. And yet, God says, I am going to bring the great reversal starting with you. I'm going to bring the great revolution, reversal, restoration, recovery, and I'm going to start with you, Mary, at least to some extent because no one will expect it. You, you are my target audience. Love will bring an incredible reversal. Ready for another musical tangent? Yeah. While I'm not a huge fan, maybe John Lennon and the Beatles were onto something when they said, all you need is love. <laughs> I mean, if you ever listen to the lyrics of this song, like the chorus uh, is probably not surprising to you. All you need is love, all you need is love, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. Okay, got it. But listen to this, a verse. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. All you need is love. I'm not a huge Beatles fan. I'm really not. I'm sorry. Some of you are already disappointed in me. I'm more of a Stevie Wonder guy, right? But but man, there's something here. And you know, I did just a little bit, not a whole lot, but I did just a little bit of reading like the history of this song and the history of how it was received. First of all, as you probably can imagine, it rocketed up the charts and almost immediately there was a backlash. And what do you think people said? (laughs) They said things like, bunch of hippies. Really? Obviously, we need more than just love. We need some structure out there, amen? Got to have some rules out there. Got to have some policies, some laws. Listen, what do you think this world would be like if all you had was love? Really? If all you needed was love, just think what it might look like. Actually, I don't think that song in its soul is far from what it is that Mary is saying in the Magnificat. Okay, John, now you're the hippie. (laughs) I think what I am is captured by what I believe to be the faithful witness of Scripture and what I believe to be this deep-seated belief that's not just in the New Testament but also in the Old Testament that there can be a way to be alive that is organized and animated and motivated by love. I really do, I really do, I really think that. I really think that I'm saying now what I think Mary is about to say in the remaining words of the Magnificat, but also what Jesus seems to have said even when his lips weren't moving, that all we need is love. That the revolution of of love has begun in in this decision that God made to send this baby. Now, hear this. Especially you cynics, sit up now. It's not that we don't need structure or plans or policies or laws or consequences. 
But all of that can start with love. I mean, what might it look like if you as a believer, if me as a believer, if if I could as a pastor, what might it look like for us as a church? What if we were to start with love before a calendar or a budget decision was made? I mean, what might that look like? I hope, I hope that we are what that looks like. But I know that we still have around here work to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust that God knew what God was doing? Have you ever thought about, I mean, part of the reason I, I am so enamored with your traditional manger scene, which we will build uh, on Christmas Eve again before everyone. Part of the reason I'm so enamored with it is because it just makes so little sense in today's world. Like, think about it. If, if you were going to unleash a campaign to salvage all of creation, is this how you would do it? With the folks who are regularly understood to be the lowest on all of the ladders? Is that how we see our leaders around us trying to shift and shape and change the world? Do do they do it by advancing the agenda of the lowest of the low? Or do they often do it by advancing their own agendas? I, I have a vote. I mean, what might it look like or sound like if we were to take our places alongside Mary? as people who would give voice to the intention of God. What if, what if we, like Mary, were to advocate for all to hear, including those who create policy and establish the structures and enforce the codes and mete out punishment, that all of these structures and decisions could start and be organized by love, as we see it embodied in Jesus. Man, John does not understand the business world. Maybe you don't understand God's world. Do you know what we call it when love is employed in the service to all humanity? Hang on, everybody's seatbelts ready. Even and especially those who seem always to be on the bottom rung looking up or on the outside looking in. Do you know what we call that kind of love? Here it comes. We call it justice. Now, I have had this conversation with folks in the room I wish that you just wouldn't use that word because it is so loaded. Yeah, it kind of depends on who you are allowed to load, a, to load that word for you. Because that word, I would submit to you, is crucial to the experience of being Christian, but not when you let major news networks define it for you. I was hoping for a louder amen there, but that's okay. We can edit that in. That this word has become so loaded and ugly for so many is really too bad. Because that word is crucial to Scripture. It's crucial to our history. It is crucial to our future (laughs) as believers individually, but also as a corporate body. Right? Because love embodied takes many forms. Friendship, covenant, forgiveness, Reconciliation, service, compassion, hospitality, empathy, and justice. But for the believer in the believing community, that list will never be complete without the word justice. 
That's what we mean when we say around here, and we say it every single week, that we believe in open friendship for the sake of the world. Now, salvation, there's another word that we've grown up with. Rightly so, beautiful word, precious word. And each of us, I hope, has some semblance of a salvation story. A personal, a personal, I like that word, a personal, but not private, experience of salvation. Listen, I have, I have bad news and good news. Which do you want first? Okay, the bad news is, if all you have, if all you have is a private story of salvation, you don't have all of it yet. The good news is, once you recognize how your beautiful and personal and intimate story of individual salvation fits into the larger thing that God is doing, your best saved days are ahead of you. Yes, salvation is personal. And I actually hope you do have a conversion story. I have my own. But I won't allow my salvation to be understood as private. It was never meant to be personal, but not private. In fact, you and I should celebrate our salvation stories as part of the larger thing, the larger loving thing that God has done, is doing, and will continue to do here, there, and everywhere. I do think Mary gets it. Listen to what she says next. She says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty, the great reversal, the great upheaval, the great revolution. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. You do remember right that in Genesis chapter 12, when God at that time just sort of understood as the voice that called Abram, not yet Abraham, and Sarai, not yet Sarah, to a life of abandonment, abandonment to the voice of God. You do remember what that promise was in that moment, right? Genesis 12, man, you gotta see this. You gotta keep this right here. God says, I choose you to begin a whole people movement. And through this people movement, I will reach all of the people of the world. Love in the form of Jesus, the person of God, and now the church, the people of God, is in fact the response to issues like exploitation, violence, poverty, shame, hunger. But this has always been the dream for Israel, for God's people, for us, God's people, the church, the body of Christ, that God would have a people through whom God would then reach and bless all the people. Speaking of bad news and then good news, this week Pew Research sent out a, uh, a set of statistics that tell us that we're losing ground as church folks, right? I would submit it's because we have forgotten not just scripture, but we've forgotten some of the best parts of the songs that we sing during Christmas. This is one, of, we're gonna sing this one Christmas Eve. 
O holy night. Remember this one. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. God does not understand when your salvation is private. God did not send his son so that you could have a private salvation story. Personal, that's great. Have it. Keep it. Cherish it. Celebrate it. Private, no. No. And I think to the extent that it has become private, and maybe even worse, it's become partisan. I think that's why we are losing ground. And friends, we're losing ground. Over the last 14 years, the percentage of adults who identify with Christianity has shrunk from 78% to 63%. Most of that burden has been borne by Protestant evangelical faith movement. During that same time, the number of people who would self-identify as having no religion, we've, we've called them for a while around here, the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. So you're atheists, you're agnostics, or people who just don't identify because they don't want to identify. That number has gone from 16% up to 29%. No reason to believe, given what we've seen over the last several years, that these trends would change. I thought about this as I was listening to these kids sing. Now, I have seen this interpreted lots of different ways. In fact, I I have read studies that try to tell us why. And I have some of my own anecdotal experience that gives me some evidence as to why something like this would take place. And I'm going to give you some of that right now, absolutely free of charge. You are welcome. Here's why I think we're seeing that. I think it's because we've made Christianity too small. I I think it's become, rather than a revolution of love, in some corners it's become a revolution of power. We will enforce (laughs) our beliefs and we will shove them right down your throats. By the way, God loves you. And if not that, then it's become so private that it's not making the dent that I think all of us in our bones know that faith is supposed to make that Jesus is supposed to make. I think we've made faith into something too small. I'm not sure that it's compelling, especially to young minds and hearts and imaginations who either in or soon will be in that phase of life when I heard the call to preach. When I heard the call to pastor, to to give my own life and heart away. I think we've made it too small. I think we have under-embodied and under-appreciated and underdefined love. 
I, I think we hear Mary work through the lines of the Magnificat, a, a, a passage of scripture put to music so many times that it has its own kind of title, the Magnificat. <laughs> we have learned over the years, over the centuries, to so admire these words because they represent for us the great reversal, the great upheaval, and we just kind of want to sing it, but I'm not sure we always want to embody it. In other words, here's what I'm saying. <laughs> it sounds compelling enough to Mary, doesn't it? I wonder why it's not more compelling to the rest of us. Perhaps it's because it's not loving enough, the gospel that we see preached and paraded around out there. It's not far-reaching enough. It's not compelling enough. But Mary sounds compelled, doesn't she? It sounds plenty big enough for Mary and Mary's young and vast imagination. In fact, and this is important, Mary isn't dreaming here. Mary is announcing. She is saying, no, it's here, and it's time. Mary uses past tense verbs to describe all that is taking place. It's Mary not predicting what God will do, but announcing what God has done and how generations will be impacted unless they won't be. God has accomplished the great reversal. God's choice of Mary is evidence of it. And now, church folks, I love you to pieces. I really do. I mean, I, I love seeing your kids do their thing, hearing your kids sing. I, I love that we took so many to fall retreat. I love what we do with, with college and young adult and our Sunday school classes. I, I love being a Christian at OKC First. But we always have a decision to make. Whether or not to take God seriously. Whether or not to take God seriously. Seriously. What are you doing Christmas Eve? What are you doing Christmas Eve? I don't know, around 6 p.m. If you'll allow me to, I'd like to invite you to something. We will, this, uh, I guess that would be Friday night. Yes, Friday night, 6 p.m. They keep changing the date of Christmas. It's strange. <laughs> in collaboration and in partnership with Impact Church, back at the back, we're going to have a combined effort, uh, a combined effort Christmas Eve candlelight service. And, and there will come, I mean, it's, again, kids will be on full display, love all of that. There's going to be singing. I, I look forward to it. Tamara only lets me sing one time a year. That's the one time a year I get to sing, so I'm looking forward to that as well. I know, I made that part up, I know. So I'm looking forward to all of that, singing with the folks from, from Impact. It's, it's really going to be great. I got to tell you, though, my favorite part is, is the end. Now, it's not a sacrament because we haven't, as a church, voted to say, candlelight <laughs> on Christmas Eve is a sacrament. But man, it is a sacramental moment. Man, it is a moment. Given what you've just heard me say about the decline of evangelical faith, and by the way, that may not all be a bad thing. Maybe God can do something with that. Amen? That doesn't mean that the light goes away, y'all. So, we've now lit all the candles. You can see that in this beautiful piece that Walt Crow made for us, there's a spot there in the middle 
for a candle. That is the Christ candle. That thing will be lit. You will see it lit Christmas Eve. The Christ candle. I I don't think we fully appreciate all that that is communicating when the Christ candle is lit. But at the end of the service, we will start drawing from that Christ candle and a few people will go up and they will light their candles and then those people, those candles lit by the Christ candle will go and they will kind of spread this light until finally throughout the sanctuary, you can't really see it very well, but the entire sanctuary is lit up with these candles, all ultimately drawing from the Christ candle. Friends, man, there is always hope. There is always hope because there's always more light that can be drawn from the Christ candle. With everyone, with every candle we light, we are announcing, like Mary, what God has done and how we continue to be changed by it and how we, like Mary, no matter how small, no matter how broken we might be, how we chosen, needed, cherished, and included. In other words, the great reversal continues in and through us. So I don't know what you're doing. You may already have plans. If you do, don't completely understand. But if you don't have plans, we would sure like for you to help us kindle hope and celebrate the great reversal the revolution brought about by love embodied in this child, Jesus. It's the same story that we celebrate every week around the table. So if you were here and you were helping us, would you please come? The pastor's gone long, so please come quickly to uh, help us to remember and celebrate this love. And everybody, please remember, that's what we're doing. This, This love is our orienting story. It is our organizing story. Without this love, we are nothing. We are nothing but an empty book of rules. (laughs) Without this love that animates and organizes who we are and how we are who we are, we have nothing. So as you participate in communion today in one way or another, I pray that you'll be reminded of who God is and who we can be as a reflection of who God is. And so God, bless these elements. A simple piece of bread. Simple sip from a cup. Bless these elements, God. And with them, remind us of who you are. Remind us of this love that continues to organize us. And may we have just enough courage and just enough strength in this moment to allow you to continue to organize and shape us to be a people who embody the same kind of love, taken, blessed, broken, and given. People are now taking their places. And here in a second, you will be asked to come forward with your hands cupped to receive a piece of bread. It's important that you understand it as grace. That's why we come forward with hands cupped. You can't reach out. Please don't reach out and grab it. You can't steal it. We just want to give it to you like a gift, you know, like grace. And then take that piece of bread, if you will, and then dip it into the cup and then take and eat and then find a place to pray. 
Now, if you would prefer, given that we are in the midst of a pandemic, if you would prefer to stay where you are, if you'd prefer to use the prepackaged, we have people across the sanctuary who have those prepackaged elements, and you just need to raise your hand and we will make sure that you have it. That is just as good, and we welcome your participation in that way. By the way, you don't have to participate at all if you don't want to. You might ask, well, who's eligible to participate? Every person in the room who understands her or his need of grace, that's all you need. If you understand you need grace, you're eligible. But you don't have to do it. It's an invitation, but you don't have to do it. So, across the sanctuary now, after this liturgy, you'll be ready to come forward. It was on the night that was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken for you. Every time you eat of it, including today, December 19th, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, including today, remember and be shaped by me. So now if you would across the sanctuary as you are dismissed by row, go ahead and come down front unless you want to sit there and take communion on your own. Or if you just want to sit here and, and sit this one out, that's okay. But go ahead, come down row by row to receive broken body and shed blood. take if you would like to find a place to pray you can certainly pray back at your seats if you want to come to one of these front kneeling benches you're certainly welcome to do that as well they're on the sides you'll also notice padded altars on the side if you show up to one of those side padded altars then somebody will come and pray with you a prayer for healing that's how we understand those altars if you need physical emotional, mental, relational healing. If you'll meet us at those side padded altars, someone will come and pray with you.
before turning it over to Jason to pray prayers of intercession. I would ask you to think back all the way to the video we heard at the very beginning, Natalie's video and the way that she talked about her granddad. Though he has passed, though he has passed, that love continues to organize and animate that household. Perhaps during these prayers of confession, you could ask yourself, am I being organized by love? So Heavenly Father, we do give you these next few moments. As we pray prayers of confession, we give you the freedom to explore the ways that we have been organized, to explore whether or not love is organizing all or just some of our lives point out where something other than love is motivating and organizing us now. And now I'll get out of the way and you pray that prayer. before I hand it over to Jason. Hear this. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. As we move towards these moments of prayers of intercession, can continue to take whatever posture of prayer here in the sanctuary, either of these altars that are open, as well as however you may pray at home. We are grateful for your presence in prayer. And so would you pray along with me? Jesus, we ask on this Sunday that you would be with a few folks that we love who need a special continued healing and touch from you. God, we ask that you would be with a few of our friends who have experienced surgery recently asking for your healing touch upon our friend Mike Bell, who was able to be with us and even serve communion with us this morning. Vera Vaughn, this itty-bitty baby of ours, as she recovers from surgery, that God, you would surround her family, but also Vera this week, as she's doing well. But God, would you be with her and as she travels with her mom and dad and brother. God, we ask that you be with Adrian Howe because he has surgery on Monday. And all God who continue to just need a healing touch upon you, my friend and our friend, Trudy Capero, whose heart's been in a little bit of AFib this week. We ask God for your continued healing in the life of our friends, Derek Doris, 
Tate Lamb, that God, you'd come alongside of the Green family and McKinley this Christmas as she continues to have some needs of health and healing in her life. God, we ask that you would have your love reach especially Glenn and Betty Fane. God, we ask that you'd be with all of those who have experienced loss, and especially this week, those who will grieve in ways that they've never grieved before. Pray for Kaylee Vaughn and her family and the sudden loss of her aunt this week who passed away of a heart attack. God, we ask for all who experience these moments that God, your loving presence and your comforting spirit, God, the sense that you are Emmanuel, God with us, would come and reside in our hearts, especially those across this sanctuary who have experienced loss. Many because of COVID-19 and many others. But God, anybody who's dealing with this illness, we ask for your comfort, your healing, and your presence. God, we ask you to be with those who are here and who are our loved ones who have experienced cancer this last year and years have gone by. And as I pray these names, if you're a guest with us, perhaps you know someone not in part of the Sun Congregation who needs healing from cancer and please pray for them as we pray now. For the healing in the life of Bonnie Goodwin and Scott Peterson and Dennis Bratcher and Angela Adams and Carolyn Fielding and in Margaret Farmer. God, we ask this week as you place someone in the name, in, the, in our life right now, in our mind's eye, someone who is, God, you are putting into a picture of who you would ask us to pray for, someone who especially needs, God, your presence, your healing, whoever, God, you're putting in our minds now. Church, would you pray for that person? And now, would you just take a moment to pray for the person on your right? Take a moment to pray for the person on your left. And collectively, we're all gonna pray for that one heart who's heavier than all of our hearts. And now let's pray together this Lord's Prayer, which should be on the screen in front of you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 